Thanks, bro. Good morning. Glad you've joined us this morning. As Ben was saying, we're continuing a message series called Love in High Definition. And the goal for the series is to come up with the clearest picture possible of what love is. And then think through how to show that kind of love to our family and friends. We really do want a high definition, a real clear picture of what love is, since it's such a an overused word that uh, is very misunderstood in our culture. We're digging in to define it. And thankfully, in the Bible, God gives us a tremendous amount of help for defining love and how to live that out. At Church of Valley, the Bible is our guide. It, it is uh, where we launch from every Sunday morning. And I found that in Scripture, it always goes to the crux of the problem. It always goes, whenever it's talking about something, it, it goes to the very core of the solution to whatever you're dealing with. If we learn the Bible's truths, if we if we get into Scripture like we do here on Sunday morning and we, we listen to it or we read it or we study it and then we see ourselves in there, we admit our part of the problem, we ask God for help to get past our part of the problem, He changes us. I, I've This process has been repeated in me over and over and over again. Get into the Scripture, God speaks to me. I admit my part of the problem and then ask him to help take the steps that I need to take to change. And he changes me. This is how you grow in life. This is how God grows us to, to be the people that he made us to be. For example, the summer between my sophomore and junior year, I was hearing a man teach scriptures and uh, it became apparent to me that I need to aim to have a clear conscience with the people around me. That's that's something that I needed to do. If I had offended someone and it comes to mind, I need to clear up that relationship with them. And so I began to take steps to clear up my relationships. There were things going on that I need to clear up. And I began to make that a habit. And since that time, I think I was 19 or 20 at the time, since that time, I've tried to make it a habit to clear up relationships. And I can tell you that 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 right there, that habit has changed me. It has it has blessed my relationships and allowed them to continue on. That's what happens when you get into the scripture. God changes you. It's one of the reasons our marriage is still enjoyable. Because I'm trying to let God speak to me about what needs to change in me and what I need to straighten out with my wife. It makes a tremendous difference in our lives. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to dig into two passages. And in both of these passages in the Bible, God shows us a major barrier to love. He, he also shows us how to get through it. So we're going to see the barrier and how to get through it. In this series, we're focusing on 1 Corinthians 13. It gives us a definition of love, God's definition of love, and what it is and what it isn't. And it is a goal mine for knowing what love is meant to be the way God intended it. We started last week with verses 1 through 3. I just review those real quickly. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, 
I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, summarize. Love should be the motive behind whatever it is we're doing. Whatever it is we're trying to accomplish, love should be the fuel behind our words and deeds. It it should drive these things. Without it, you add up everything we're doing equals zero. It's a big goose egg. All the stuff we're doing without love is meaningless. That's what this passage is saying. Then today we're going to dig into verse four, the first part of it. it says love is patient and kind. Now it's getting down to the nitty gritty. This is what love is. And in a few moments, we're going to look at what it's not. But love shows up in patience in the way we relate to people and kindness in the way we relate to our family and our friends. In this verse, we get a further description. It, it helps me to understand what something's not, to get a grasp, to get my hands around what it actually is. So we're going to spend quite a bit of time on the last half of this verse, which talks about uh, what love is not. But first of all, let's look at these two things that it is for sure in this verse. Love is patient. The word patient literally means to bear with. Literally, it means to hold oneself up against. Now, what happens when toddlers are playing together and one of them gets upset? They take their ball and want to go home. (laughs) They take their toy and they want to get out of the room. And what it means to be patient is when you're having difficulty in a friendship or a relationship, a family relationship, when you're having difficulty you, you don't pull away. You don't take your ball and go home. But you, you patiently and calmly work through the difficulty. That, that's what love, the kind of love you find in, in Scripture, God's kind of love, that's what it does. It patiently works through difficulty. Patience means when there's a conflict or trouble in a family relationship, in an ongoing friendship, I don't stomp out of the room or avoid the person or the problem. I don't tell myself I need to make them pay for what they've done. I don't retaliate quickly for what's going on. Patient love has a calmness to it. You work through the conflict or the problem together with calm. Now, sometimes you need a little space to think it through. I understand that. I do sometimes. But at the same time, you're not pulling, you're not creating the space to check out, to pull away. But your, 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 your goal is to, to calmly work through this. This kind of love knows how to put out the fire, not throw gasoline on it. That's what this is saying. Love is kind. Another positive definition of what love is. To be kind literally means to be useful. And so it carries the idea of, of being gracious and good and merciful. And if you if you apply it to our speech in the midst of a conflict or trouble that we're having in a relationship, some kind of difficulty, the Bible says that our speech should be gracious and kind. And the word literally means smooth. Not not like a smooth talker. You know, I don't really like slick people who are smooth talkers. 
But we should be smooth as in our words don't have a jagged edge where they're poking and hurting and damaging the people around us. Have you ever thought, uh-oh, you know, somebody gets up, comes to the breakfast table, or you, you can tell they got out of the wrong side of the bed or something, and they go, you go to work, and, and you, you think, whoa, they've got an edge this morning. I want to I wanna stay clear. I gotta, I gotta stay away. I, I don't really want to hug them. I think that'd probably be like hugging a cactus or something. I'm not, I don't really want to do that. Kindness is the opposite. Kindness is useful. And it says what's needed at just the right time in just the right way that really blesses people, the people around us. So that's what love is. That's the picture that you're, we're getting in 1 Corinthians 13. Of what love is. It's patiently calm when you interact with difficult people or when you are interacting with someone and you're dealing with a difficult situation. It's patiently calm and it's smooth. It aims to be useful and helpful in what is said and done. It tries to help, to benefit everybody involved. That's that's what love fuels. And the way it is, we're human beings. That's the ideal. We, we aren't ideal. We don't live in an ideal world. And so the next statement in the verse, which is what happens in the Bible, goes to the crux, the core of the problem. When the right kind of love is fueling our words and deeds, patience and kindness flow, but there's a barrier that we run into as human beings. The flow of love is stopped by envy. Envy is a major enemy of love. That's what you find here. Love does not envy. That's something it doesn't do. Because if love is patient, envy's not. Envy blows right through patience. Envy says, you have what I want and I deserve it. And so what am I waiting for? I'm going to try to get it. If love is kind, envy is not. Envy becomes all about me getting what I want and what I don't have. And what envy does is it causes me to ignore the needs of others and it blocks me from being patient and kind. Because what, what do we tend to think? They have what I deserve, so why would I help them? Why, why would I give them a break? Why would I cut them any slack? They've got it all right there. And so that's, that's envy is a real enemy of love. The, the root of envy, the root word literally means to burn. There, there's, it's, it, it literally means warmth or heat. And, and what do we do? We burn with desire. For something someone else has. That's what it means to envy someone. When you envy, you burn with desire for what they have. You want it. Have you ever seen someone with a new car, a uh, new computer, new gadget, whatever? You may be a gadget person. They've got the latest phone or whatever it is. You go visit their house and you want it. That's, that's, that's envy. You, you want what they have and you, be, and you begin to resent them. For having it. That's envy. Envy carries that burn, that resentment to it. Not just wanting it, 
but resenting the person for having it. And that cuts out love because envy destroys relationships. It short circuits patience and kindness. When, when there's something you want that someone else has, you begin to go down the path where in, envy leads. It takes you somewhere, and the destination is not pretty. It, it's, it's tragic. When envy goes unchecked, it changes you. Uh, this character may look familiar to you from uh, Lord of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien. Um, Gollum. This, this character, Gollum, is Tolkien's attempt to show us what happens when we envy. It's, it's his picture of what happens when we get our hearts wrapped around stuff that other persons have that's not ours to keep. He uses this character to show how envy changes us. Here's Gollum. Here's the before picture. I like before and after pictures. Here's the before picture. Smeagol. Gollum was Smeagol before he became Gollum. And uh, th- this is the before. His, you can see he's, 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 he's looking at the ring and he begins to call the ring his precious. And that's what he talks about. And his heart's wrapped around this ring that really is not his. It was somebody, it was rightfully somebody else's ring and he killed someone to get it. He took it and he, his life became about this possession, this thing that he wanted that wasn't rightfully his and he wrapped his heart around it. And this is, this is what happened. Look at this clip. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't want to be him. This is what envy does on the inside when it goes unchecked. It changes us completely. We desire things that are precious to us or they become precious to us and we don't have them. And that's the problem. When we want things bad enough, love is no longer fueling our relationships but envy has taken its place and it puts on a chauffeur hat and it drives us to where we don't really want to go. It, it takes us to a very wrong end. There are three major categories for thing, things that we envy. Status that others have or significance. Someone has a, a title, a job, some kind of responsibility. We want it. Um, this kind of envy longs for attention. Maybe some, some people are getting some attention that we'd like to have. We think we deserve it. Uh, it, it comes out in the family. They're, they're the ones that always get all the attention. Comes out in our circle of friends. Shows up if you feel overlooked. If you don't think you matter. We start envy. We envy the status and significance of others. Some, some people have stuff that we want. Someone gets the new car, the house, the shoes. We, we wish we could shop at the store where they bought those shoes. We wish we could have those shoes. Um, we've got the ones we have. Stuff. We begin to envy stuff. Or success. Someone is making progress in life. You have a picture. We all have a picture. We run a video scenario of where we'd like to see our lives go. What kind of progress we'd like to make. And somebody else is ahead. Somebody else is making the kind of progress that we want to make in life. And so we begin to burn. 
We, we get zealous, this, this drive to get what we want puts our relationships in danger because it doesn't just affect the one we're envious of. It, it, it starts spilling over. It, it changes us, just like Gollum became who he was. It's like a wrecking ball that just sort of pounds against the infrastructure of our relationships. Check, check this wrecking ball out. I got, a, I got a clip of a wrecking ball here. Those demolition guys love that. I love demolition myself. I think that, I think there's, you know, that's, it's necessary there. But if this is our insides and this is our relationships, that's the picture. Envy is just pounding against our relationships. Over time, they crumble. They, they fall apart. Where love existed, it's now destroyed. Where the relationship was thriving, it, it starts to wear down and unravel. There's another verse in the Bible that actually uh, very accurately describes the damage that's done. James 3.16. This is written by Jesus' half-brother and uh, very close to Jesus who didn't. Would you believe if your brother started telling you that I'm God? Would you believe your brother if you have a brother or your sister? <laughs> I'm God. I, I wouldn't. I think James, I think the fact that, fact that James turned from uh, unfaith, unbelief, to put his faith in his half-brother Jesus as God is one of the strongest testimonies to the reality of Jesus being who he really said he was. be pretty easy to prove that my brother isn't God. Very easy. But James bought into it because Jesus really is. So you can investigate that if you're investigating what it means to, to follow Christ. But this is written by James, brother of Jesus, half-brother. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice, the wrecking ball, just pounding away at relationships. In this verse, jealousy is a synonym for envy. It's the same word. Uh, envy leads to disorder. Disorder here means confusion or literally a riot. <laughs> a riot begins to take place in your relationships. There's a, there's a chaos that begins to happen. Now, here's some of the ways that envy causes this kind of damage in our, in our friendships and in our family relationships. The right goals for our relationships get lost. We, we forget what it's all about to relate to somebody Patience is not important because we don't care what they're going through. They've got what we want. We withhold kindness. And we do that because why would we help them? I mean, I, I need to put them in their place. They shouldn't feel too good about themselves. <laughs> um, envy can harden us toward other people. Really harden us. We get, we get irritated and bothered. With, with others, with those close to us and those we work with, instead of cutting them slack, we make them toe the line. We make them do what we think they should do. At work, if you're envious of the people around you, you drag your heels. 
You, 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 especially if you want the position of the person over you, why do they have that position and not me? I'm just going to make it as hard as I can on them. I start making them pay. Stubbornness sets in. Disorder starts growing. And envy can lead us to, to cause real damage to other people and our relationships in the pursuit of what we want. I'm always fascinated with high-speed pursuits. You know, if, if you watch the news on TV, um, it'll take up the whole hour. They'll just be following this high-speed pursuit. But what's, what's usually happened is somebody has taken something that wasn't theirs, and they're trying to get away with it, and they don't care how much damage they cause along the way. They're just trying to get away. That's what happens with envy. Because we want something, and the desire, the, the heat of the desire takes over, and we don't care what kind of damage we do in relationships. We, do, we just want it. God wants to help with this. And he shows us that love gains the advantage if we stop envy before it starts. Love begins to win. It gains an advantage. James, James 4, 1 through 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. This is, this is where it's coming from. This is where the, uh, much of the trouble in our relationships is coming from envy, from coveting. This passage is clear on a major source of conflict in our relationships. It's called coveting. To covet is simply to want what somebody else has. Desires are normal. It, that's where coveting starts. Coveting starts with desire. To desire something and to want it and maybe even long for it. We start to burn for that thing. We really want it. Now, desires are normal. We, we're human beings. We, have, we want stuff. It's, it's okay to want to make the right kind of progress in life, to be successful. That's, that's all okay. Uh, some desires, though, are good, and some desires are bad. Some of them are harmful. Some of them aren't, aren't so great. Desire turns into coveting when we notice that someone else has what we want. And then we begin to burn for that thing. That, that's, that's desire that turns into coveting. God says this. This is one of the Ten Commandments. He says it's wrong to covet in Exodus 20. He says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is, in, that is your neighbor's. Now, why does God tell us to co- not to covet? It's, he says it's wrong. Clearly, one of the big ten, one of the ten commandments, don't covet. Because coveting leads to envy. That's what happens. Envy is when I covet what somebody else has and I begin to resent them because they have it. I burn with anger. I begin to burn with anger toward them because of what they have. It's, it's nearly impossible. I think it is po- impossible to love someone that you envy because you resent them. You, you are completely unmotivated to do and say loving, kind things. And you're not motivated to be patient with them. So God tells us not to covet 
because it's like a virus that can lead to serious problems. If you have bronchitis and it goes undiagnosed, it can turn into pneumonia or worse. It can cause real problems. Coveting is that kind of thing. It, it's, it's like a virus. If we let envy lodge in our heart, it can take us down a path that destroys relationships. So it's critical that we stop envy before it starts. That's when love begins to win. Envy blocks love if we don't keep it in check. But love wins if we trust God to give us what we need. This is the solution to the problem of envy. This is how we deal with it. Uh, Andy Stanley, I read a book by him. It came from within, and this is very good insight. He said, something we need to realize is this. If we envy someone, our problem is not with that person, but our problem is really with God. Because God's the one really who's not giving us what we need, what we think we need or what we want. As long as we think that that person is the problem, then I won't be able to get rid of envy. I won't be able to deal with the crux of the problem. Here's what James says in in James 4. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. If we want to win the battle with envy, we have to settle the matter with God. We have to work it out before him. God loves us. He knows what's best for us. We can we can ask him to give us what we want. It's okay to take your desires to God. God, I I really want I really want that new computer. I think it'd be really helpful. Or I think that, you know, the phone would just help me get stuff done. So, you know, that'd be great. Take them there. But except we have to learn to accept no for an answer from him. And that's where faith comes in. That's where learning to walk with the Lord in faith and just learning to trust him. If you're investigating what it means to follow Christ, what it means is this. You give your life to Christ and you allow him to lead you and change you and give you what you need and accept no for an answer when he says no. And you're asking him for the stuff that you want. That that's what it means. That's a big part of what it means to follow him because, you know, good parents don't let their kids have everything they want. I mean, ice cream's a great dessert, but it's not a good breakfast, lunch and dinner. You know, I, I may be I may have let my kids have ice cream for dinner at some point. I don't know, but it's just not a great it's not healthy. It's not the best thing. A toddler, you know, they want to play with the scissors, but it's not great to play with scissors. You know, it's not a good thing. They're going to hurt themselves. So parents put the scissors up. They keep it away from the kids. That's what we have to learn to do. God, we have to trust him to be working in our lives, his purpose and his plan and doing what's best for us. If we don't have what we want, it's and we've asked God for it and we've laid it before him. It's not good for us. It might be in the future at some point good for us. Maybe not, but we can trust God. He's the one we have to settle envy with. He's the one we need to go to and trust. This is where faith and love intermingle. Because to love people, to show love to them on a consistent basis, to keep looking to their interest and to be kind and patient and to help them with their goals, 
that requires faith. We have to trust somebody. We have to put our faith in God. God has given us everything we really need. He made us. He gave us this world to live in. We have food and clothing. Another scripture says, be content with that. Food and clothing. We, we breathe. He, we're breathing. We have life. He's given us everything we need. He made us. He put us in this world to enjoy it. And then when we rebelled against him, I was talking about this last week, how every one of us have gone our own way. When we rebelled against him, Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sin, to be our substitute. And so he's given us the forgiveness we need to continue to have a relationship with him so that we can get back into a relationship with him. That is love in high definition. God has given us everything we need in life. And since he has given us all we need, we can choose to be content with food and clothing. It's enough. It's all we need. We accept no for an answer from our loving God. We can go beyond envy. We can work through it and choose the right response to the success of others who have what we want because our needs are met by the living God. It's, you know, it's not enough. I found it's not enough to stop a harmful habit. You have to start a good habit to replace it. You have to stop something and then replace it with something. A habit that will strengthen me against envy is to celebrate the success, the status, the significance, and the stuff that others have. That's how we gain victory. Stop comparing ourselves and start celebrating with the people around us. Envy is going to grow the more we notice the stuff and the more that other people have if we, if we just stay there. But celebrate it. Work on throwing a party when other people get what you want. And that's a choice. We have to choose that. I went to college. Now, I'm a pastor. Uh, that's what I do for, for work. And I went to college with one of the most famous pastors in America. He prayed the inaugural prayer uh, in 2009 for President Obama's first inauguration. Uh, you may have read Rick Warren's book, uh, The Purse Driven Life. Went to college with Rick. In my 20s, he had started a church just a little ahead of me, grew like wildfire, became famous all over the country. He, he became well-known. In my, in my 20s, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I coveted what was going on with Rick a little bit. I was struggling with coveting what he was doing. He started Saddleback, and then we started Church in the Valley. And I don't think I ever dove into envy or jealousy, but at times I did covet. And I thought, you know, God, when do I get my rapidly growing con- congregation? You know, when, 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 when do I get mine? You know, I, I want that. Over the last 25 years, I've grown to understand that God gives people different stewardships. He gives us different uh, levels of blessing, levels of responsibility. And what matters to God is my faithfulness with what he's given to me. I I can be just as successful as anyone else if today I decide that I'm going to do my best with what he's given me today. And besides, I don't envy Rick any longer, for sure. I don't even covet what he has. I've watched him take criticism. I've watched him handle very difficult situations on a national scale and 
I understand that's not me. I have a different, I have a different wiring. There, there is no wisdom in comparison. But what happens is we start comparing with people around us and they have more and we want it. And then we get into envy and that's where the trouble starts. Understanding and wisdom grow as I accept what I have from the hand of God with gratitude and do my best to be faithful with it, to fulfill his purpose for me. That's where life really begins. Do you find yourself coveting this morning what someone else has, someone in your family or your circle of friends, their level of status, the amount of stuff that they have or the quality of stuff that they have or the success that they're experiencing in some arena of life. Maybe you're coveting, maybe it's envy, and maybe it's killing you. Maybe it's killing your relationships. Ask God to help you start celebrating. Because what we need to do is stop comparing and start celebrating. And you just have to do it. You just have to start celebrating whether or not you feel like it. Just start doing it. This is one of those things, if you'll make it a habit to celebrate and commit to celebrating the blessings of others, your heart will begin to follow. So just do it. Just just make the choice to do it. First Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. It's impossible to say and do loving things towards someone you envy. When envy is taking over on the inside, love doesn't do that. It genuinely throws a party when other people are doing well, when they have the exact thing you want, when they're making the kind of progress that you want to make. It throws a party. Can you do that? You can do it if God helps. You can do it with his help. It's important to stop comparing and start celebrating because envy sends us in a complete wrong direction. If you get rid of it, if you get rid of envy, Then you can spend your energy on showing love to others. Patience and kindness will flow and your relationships will really be blessed. I'd like to ask the band to come up, if they would, to help us close out our worship service. Ask God to help you win the battle with envy. He wants to help. He he really does. It will free you to love and help your relationships to really grow. Uh, as we get ready to close out uh, the service with some song, uh, would you take out your connection card this morning and complete any next steps or any information that you'd like to fill out you haven't had a chance to fill out? Then when the offering ushers come around, you could drop that card in the basket. That'd be great. We always look at the end of our messages here at Church of Valley at next steps because I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord, but he just wants you to take your next step. We don't have to look five, ten down the road, but our next step, what is your next step? After looking at scriptures, after uh, finding out what they say about love and envy, what step would you like to take? There may be some that God's brought to your mind, but, but here are some suggestions. First of all, to memorize James 3.16. It, it really nails it. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every vile practice. So you may want to memorize that just to remind yourself to stay away from envy. The second next step I'm suggesting is to write a note or make a call of congratulations this week or appreciation. If you if you genuinely show appreciation and you begin to make a habit of that toward the people you envy, that that can that can change you. That gets your heart moving in the right direction. And then for the first time, 
I accept Jesus as my Savior and follow him as Lord. Maybe you're at the point where you've been investigating what it means to follow Christ and you're ready to take that step to follow him. We'd love to know about that. We'd love to help you with that. And then we have the picnic and the Old Town Pasadena hangout coming up. And I really want to remind you, as before I pray, that the next two weeks we're going to be outside under a tent. And so dress accordingly. The children will continue uh, to meet inside and they'll be in their kid zone and, and that'll be all taken care of. But we're going to be in the courtyard in the back under a tent. So um, you may want to let us know. Give us your email. We'll send you a reminder this week, because if you're me, I'm going to get up, get dressed like I normally am. I may forget a code or whatever if it's cold. So just wanted to bring that to mind and, and remind you that's happening next week. Really glad you're here. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word and for the help that you give to take the steps we need to take to live it out. God, may you help us have the power to take the steps that you've laid on our heart to bring honor and glory to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.